0: Proverbs chapter number 11, and uh, we're going to begin by, uh, by by just reading the first uh, uh, six, seven verses of this particular uh, this particular chapter. I'm going to preach through several uh, of the uh, truths that are taught here, and so I hope you, you'll keep your Bible open and follow along with us. But Proverbs chapter 11, look in verse number one. The Bible says, a false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way, but the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright shall deliver them, but transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. And the hope of unjust men perisheth. Tonight I'd like to preach you a message that I've entitled Choices. Choices. You know, we like to think that for every for every situation or scenario that we encounter, that there are many, many choices that, that could be made, that, you know, sort of life is a, is, is sort of like a, a, a buffet uh, line in which, like, well, I could, I could go this route, or I could have this, or I could enjoy this, or, you know, if I don't get this now, I can always come back later, and I can grab that later, and, and a lot of times, that's sort of how we perceive life to be. And, um, and as I've as I've read through this through this chapter, I I've, I've discovered that uh, that that may not that may not be the case. Solomon's writing seems to indicate that in most situations there are really only two choices or two options, and those are the right choice and the wrong choice. Now we see that very clearly displayed throughout this chapter. As I was studying this particular chapter, I was, I was taken by the amount of times in which Solomon says, there's this, but there's this. Now there's, there's this decision, there's this choice, but there's this decision and this choice. Now I want to just kind of walk through this chapter, sort of an overview uh, here. There are, there are really two choices in business. We th- find that in verse number one, where in business there is a false balance or there is a just weight. A false balance or a just weight. It reminds me of a housewife who went into the local food store and asked the butcher for a chicken that weighed four pounds. The butcher had only one chicken left, and it weighed three pounds. I'm sorry, the woman said. It isn't quite big enough. I'll have to go to another store. The butcher, who was not a scrupulously honest man and did not want to lose a customer stopped her, he said, Madam, he said, I just remembered that I may have one more chicken in the freezer. Please wait one moment. He carried the three-pound chicken to the freezer in back of the store. He waited a minute. Then he came back, still holding the exact same chicken that he had taken with him. You're in luck, ma'am, he said. I found another chicken. He placed it on the scale, and unseen by the customer, he slightly depressed the scale with his own finger so that it indicated in the neighborhood of four pounds, there you are, ma'am. Will you take this one? The customer thought for a moment. Tell you what, she said. Since you were so helpful... I'll take both. <laughs> I, um, I would be very, very careful on... Tomorrow, as you go into the work side, into the job side, be very, very careful. The Bible talks about, again, this idea of a false balance or a just weight. And, uh, and, and there's really, again, as, as, it, as it relates to your business and, and the way that you go about your business, there's really only two ways, to be honest or to be dishonest in the way that you go about your daily life. In, in attitude, we see in verse number two, there's really two, only two choices. There is pride or there is lowliness and high my how the holy spirit of god may help us to to see the pride that often exists in our own hearts and in our own lives. In in character, there's really only two choices. There is integrity, verse number three, or there is perverseness. In confidence, there are only two choices, according to verse number four. Is your confidence in riches, or is your confidence in righteousness or your relationship with the Lord? In direction, there's really only two choices, according to verse number five. Uh, Is your confidence, or excuse me, is your direction, is it a righteous direction, or is it a wicked direction? In verse number nine, we see that in communication... There are really only two choices, hypocrisy in our communication with our lips or knowledge in the community. There really are only two choices according to verse number 11. There is the community that is filled with upright citizens which leads to rejoicing or there is a community filled with wicked citizens which means that that community will eventually be overthrown. And in verse number 14, there are really only two choices as it relates to counsel. There is the choice of no counsel whatsoever or there is the choice of a multitude of counselors. I think you sort of get the idea, don't you? That life is a collection of choices. And it is pretty obvious that the primary choices we get in every situation, now get a hold of this, the primary choices we get in every situation is to choose to do right or to choose to do wrong. Throughout this chapter, we discover key choices that you and I can make that will enrich our lives while at the same time enriching the lives of others and impacting other lives for eternity. And I want you to consider with me these three wise choices that are just sort of of pulled out of this text that are laid laid out for us here in the 11th chapter of the book of Proverbs. Let me start with what I believe probably to be the most important choice that anyone will ever make, and that's found in verses 7 and 8. I want to say, number one, that as you make choices in life, Choose, number one, to die with hope. Choose to die with hope. You know, we don't have a choice if we die, do we? We don't have a choice when we die. We don't have a choice, most of us, even how it is that we will succumb to death. All of these are are very certain, and yet they're unknown. They're in the hands of God. But here's what we can determine about death. We can determine with what we will die. Many will die with a beautiful home. They'll die with nice cars and plenty of money and a savings account or retirement account. But listen, very, very few people will die with hope. A great example of this is the rich man Jesus spoke of when he gave his parable in Luke chapter number 12. This man was a very successful man, wasn't he? He was a farmer who had a series of, uh, of of years in which he just, you know, we might refer to it as a bumper crop. I mean, he was just he was doing so very well. And Jesus tells a story. He said he he, he thought about what he was going to do with his surplus. I have all of these goods, and and uh, and what am I going to do with all of these things? And then he had a little conversation with himself. Then he came to the point where he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down the barns that I do have, and I'm going to build greater so that I'll have a stockpile that is waiting for me, and I'm going to sit out the rest of my years, and I am going to relax, and I'm going to take it easy, and I'm just going to enjoy life. The Bible says that according to the story Christ, Christ said, he said, He said, I'll say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? The end of the day, listen, all of us are going to die. And all of the things that we've worked so hard to accumulate are going to be distributed to others. The one thing, listen, the one thing that we can take with us is hope and expectation. Christ was not criticizing this man because he was successful. That's not what this is about. There are plenty of righteous men throughout Scripture that are uh, incredibly wealthy. And even to this day, there are many believers who God has blessed in extraordinary ways. Now listen, there's nothing wrong at all with success monetarily. His problem is found in the 19th verse, and that is that his hope was in the goods that he had laid up for many years. That's what he was hoping in. I don't need anything for the, for the rest of my life. I have what I need. And that is the subject of Christ's criticism, and that he could simply relax and enjoy the rest of his life. And can I say that those who die with hope in material possessions die with no hope at all. Amen. So let me say just two things, very simple. Let me say, number one, we discover in this text that the wicked die without expectation and without hope. The wicked die without expectation, without hope. We see that in verse number seven. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. You know, the best, the best life, and this ought to be one of the most sobering thoughts that ever enters our mind, is that the best life for the wicked man and woman is this one. This is it. And i just be honest with you, that to me is one of the saddest thoughts imaginable. That this, that this down here is the best that it ever gets. I've, I've lived long enough to, to discover that pretty much most of the things down here are, by and large, they're a disappointment. Most of the things that I uh, that I covet or that I desire, that I long for, when I finally possess those things, they do not. They rarely provide the satisfaction and the happiness. With the, with the, listen, with the exception of the relationships of this life, very, very few things provide me with satisfaction. And yet the wicked man, the unjust man, the ungodly man, it's all about right here and right now. It's about a, another trip, it's about another car, it's a it's about another experience, it's about another house, it's about another meal, it, it's a, it's about another a pair of, of shoes or another another set of of clothes or whatever the case might be. And this, listen, this is all that they have. Can you can you imagine, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that this life is all is not all that we have to look forward to? I mean, if you lived long enough, maybe there's some young people that are still sitting here saying, you know, I still, I still, I want to experience what you're saying. I'm not ready to just take your word for it yet. And I understand that. And, and I was where you were at one point, but I guarantee you live long enough and you'll come to the same conclusion that I've come to. Maybe maybe it's just a relationship with Christ is so much better and and a relationship with other believers is just so much better and maybe that's what the world is missing and they just don't understand what they're missing. But I'm just simply saying, I'm so glad that this is not all that I have to look forward to. And Again, I know there are pleasures in this life, but they're so temporal and they're so fleeting. One of the great curses of this life is time. Everything here is for a moment. And every day brings us closer and closer to our body's ultimate failure and death. You know, the pleasures I once enjoyed are less thrilling. And some are not even able to be enjoyed the older I get. I was thinking of some things that I used to enjoy so much that I no longer, they no longer thrill me. And uh, some, of you, some of you will chuckle when I, when I say this. When I was a little boy, uh, we, we, we had one time a year in the summer in which uh, my mom's side of the family would all meet at Cedar Point. And, um, and 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 we you know that day would be picked out well in advance and and my mom had her, her parents lived over in Lyme, Ohio and she had a brother over there with family and and uh, and so we would pick a day out and and uh, and we would we would drive that way and and they would drive and I remember the night before I could barely sleep I was so excited I remember we wake up at the crack of dawn. We'd listen to the weather report just to hear if uh, everything was going to be okay, and we'd see the sun rising, and and, and we get, you know, we we get so excited about that. And I remember we we would drive out to the to the park about an hour from here. And I remember my parents were not nearly as excited as we were, and I couldn't figure that out. Like, what is wrong with you? And this is the greatest day of our summer, and you don't look like you're all that excited or all that thrilled. And, and I, I almost got the vibe that my dad would almost rather be at work than be at Cedar Point. And I thought, that is a new low right there, you know? I mean, how can you not be thrilled about all of this? And of course, of course, because it was the one day that we went a year, I mean, we opened the place up and we closed it down. I mean, we were there till late at night. And I mean, I mean my, my parents, I mean, they we were dragging out of the park. And we were sitting here saying, if we could, we'd do it all over again tomorrow. We loved it, loved it. If you gave me $50 and said, here, here's $50 and here's a free ticket to go to Cedar Point, I'd say, keep it. You can have it. It, it, no, longer, it no longer thrills me. It, it really doesn't. And here's, here's why. Because as I've gotten older, my body no longer can do those rides anymore. I mean, that upside-down stuff and losing your stomach stuff. And I can, I can ride it a, a, a couple of rides, you know, but by the end of the day, I mean, I am sick as can be. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just simply saying that there are, there are things in life that I once lived for and so loved and so enjoyed that no longer provide a thrill. And then there's some, some things that I used to do that I can't even be involved in anymore. As a boy, you know, growing up here, I went to Heritage Christian School, and and uh, I I played some sports in, in the in the school, played basketball, and I played baseball. I think a couple of years I played soccer, and and, uh, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed getting out on the on the court or getting out on the field and putting the uniform on and the camaraderie of a team. You you don't want to see me on a basketball court nowadays. You really probably didn't want to see me on a basketball court th- those days either, but I, I, I was uh, you know, one of the few that they had, I guess, that was available and that would play. But I'm just, I'm just simply saying, listen, those days are gone. They're gone. Long gone. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are a star athlete, and you, know, you blew that knee out, and you've never been the same. Why? Why? Because because the, the longer we live, listen, uh, th- th- those, those things, they, they, they no longer provide what, what maybe they once did. The wicked man lives every day to satisfy his flesh, and he gives no thought, no thought whatsoever to his soul and his spirit. And the day comes, listen, the day comes, as it does for everyone, when his flesh fails and his soul and spirit depart without expectation and without hope eternally. And can I say, there is nothing sadder than this. Nothing. To live your whole life and to invest it in the things of this world and to give no thought whatsoever to to your eternal destiny so that on the day you die, you don't just die physically and they don't just lower your body into the ground physically. But understand this, listen, something else dies. Your hope and your expectation of a grand future dies as well. There's nothing worse than that. On the other hand, the righteous die with expectation and hope. The righteous die with expectation hope. If the wicked die without these, then we can conclude the righteous die with these. We don't have to simply make the assumption, though. In other words, Solomon doesn't necessarily come right out and, and say it in the very next verse. Well, on the other hand, the righteous die with expectation and hope. But the Bible, the Bible preaches that over and over and over again, doesn't it? Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's expectation, isn't it? That's hope. That when I die, when you die, with our faith in Christ, we, we die with expectation and hope. This is, this is not a bad thing. In fact, this is gain. How many people you know that think like that, that operate that way? Very few. He goes on to say in verse number 23, for I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Does that sound like expectation and hope to you? It does to me. Paul says, "Paul says, man, I, and I'd love to stick around and be a help to you. But if I, if I go by way of the grave, that's far better for me. I'm not scared of that. I'm looking forward. I'm eager for that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse number one, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hand, hands eternal in the heavens. Verse number eight of that same chapter says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, there's the, there's the fear of the unknown as it relates to death. And I think all of us deal with that to a certain extent. But you know, according to Scripture, I think you know, one of the things that we fear the most is we fear you know, crossing death alone. But you know what I gather? I gather you don't have to cross it alone. You don't have to, you don't have to navigate those, uh, those uncharted waters alone. No, 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 no. Christ, Christ leads you through in the moment, listen, the moment I draw my last breath here in the sight of my family, in the sight of my friends and my loved ones, in the moment I draw my first breath there, I am with the Lord. It's one breath here, one breath there, and I don't know about you, but that is a glorious thought. That is a thought for me that is full of expectation, and full of hope. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter four, Paul wrote, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also would sleep in Jesus Will God bring with them. Some of you have said goodbye to some very, very dear people to you. And that's a troubling thing. It always is. But listen, if that person, if that person knew Christ as their Savior, you're going to see them again. And if you go by way of the, of the rapture, you go by way of the trumpet sounding, when that trumpet sounds, guess what? Jesus is bringing those folks with him. And you're gonna meet them in the air and what a grand, glorious, beautiful reunion it is going to be. So it's obvious, isn't it, from Scripture that the righteous die with expectation, with hope. But here's the question, how does one How does one become righteous? How do they die righteous? The Bible tells us there's none righteous, right? According to Romans chapter three and verse number 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so this is a problem for us all because if if the only way to die with expectation, hope, is to be righteous, we're all in a very, very bad place, aren't we? But here's what Christ did. Christ made a way. He made a way for us to inherit or to be clothed with his righteousness. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four and verse number 22 that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. When you got saved, when you got saved in a figurative sense, you took off some some old rags that were tattered and that were dirty and were filthy were stained they smelled they didn't look good and you talk you listen you took those uh, you took those old rags off and you placed them aside Christ really did this for you and you know what he did he clothed you in his holiness and in his righteousness so when god listen when god in heaven looks down at you he no longer sees you and all of the messes that you've made in life. He no longer sees me and all of the messes I've made in life. No, no. Instead, he sees me clothed in Christ's righteousness. The holiness and the righteousness of Christ, it covers me completely so that so that when I die, I do not die in my own righteousness. And that's what gives me hope. And that's what gives me expectation. No, I die in Christ's righteousness, and that alone gives me hope and gives me expectation. In order to move beyond the old man, I must put on the new man. this is accomplished through the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus that in order to see the kingdom of God, he had to be born again. Those who are born again, they are given Christ's righteousness. Listen, no one dies with hope and expectation thanks to their own righteousness. But because they have been made new and they have been clothed in his righteousness. So number one, I would say, choose to die with hope. Choose to die with hope. But notice number two, I would say this, choose hope. Inner beauty first. These are just choices you can make throughout life. And I find a second one in this chapter. And that is choose inner beauty first. Would you look in verse number 22? This verse just jumped off the page of me because it's just such a word picture. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. Now that's quite a verse, isn't it? It's quite a picture, isn't it? A jewel of gold, an earring of gold in a swine's snout. He says, so is a fair woman or a beautiful woman who is without discretion. You know we all possess a strong desire uh, to appear beautiful, don't we? Uh, To appear desirable or attractive. And folks, they they work very hard. All of us work really hard to achieve this goal. And we use different things to make ourselves beautiful or make ourselves attractive. Uh, we, We use clothes and clothing to help us to stand out. We, we use jewelry, makeup, hair products. Um, you know, the list, the list could go on and on of different things that we do in order to enhance our appearance and to make us maybe a little bit more desirable. Maybe it's a, it's a cologne that you put on or a, or, or a, perfu- a perfume that, that you wear. And, and, and here, here Solomon compares, he compares putting a, a piece of jewelry, a, a, the earring of gold on the snout of a pig And he compares, he compares that, that picture, that word picture to a, to a beautiful woman who is without discretion. And here's the point he's trying to make. Here's the point. You can dress yourself up all you want, but unless you have character and integrity, ultimately you are unattractive. That's, that's what he's saying here. And, and that leads us to this conclusion that, that if you're going to make a choice, then, then you and I, we should choose inner beauty first. Because listen, it really doesn't matter how you look on the outside. What really matters is how you look on the inside, how you appear to be on the inside, how desirable you are on the inside. Well, that leads me to, to two, two conclusions. Let me say number one, that, that, that beauty is fine. Beauty is fine. There, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful. I look around the room tonight, and there's a lot of, a lot of attractive people in this room, people that, uh, that, that are beautiful. And, uh, and, you, and you carry yourself in, in, in such a way, and, and, uh, and, and I know where you want me to go. You want me to tell who who that is, and I'm not going to do it. I wouldn't, I'd hate to leave you off the list, you know, and, and, uh, and you, you did the same for me. But I'm just simply saying, look, nothing wrong with beauty. Beauty, beauty's fine. Um, in fact, did you know the Bible emphasizes beauty when describing people? We find that over and over again. The Bible says about Abraham's wife Sarah that she was beautiful. It says in Genesis twelve and verse number fourteen, it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. You know what that means? That means that she was she was a beautiful woman. I mean, fair means beautiful, and when it says very, that, that's a, that's saying she was she was really something to look at. She was attractive. She was beautiful, and I, I, I know that different cultures have, have different you know, ideas as it relates to beauty, and so I don't, I don't know what she looked like. I, I don't know. She had really, really long hair, or, uh, or she wore a lot of makeup, or, or how she dressed, or how she appeared. I don't know anything about that. I just know that the Bible description given her is that she is a very beautiful woman, and that's emphasized. In, in Genesis chapter 29, comparing Jacob's two wives, we discover that one was relatively unattractive, and the other one was beautiful and well-favored And even when describing, even when describing the unattractive woman, the Bible is 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 so kind, so kind. You you know the verse I'm talking about, Genesis 29, and verse 17. Leah was tender-eyed. Now that's the unattractive one. Girls, you don't want to be tender-eyed. I don't know. I don't exactly know all that that means, but that's what the Bible says. Because he, he, he's comparing, Moses is comparing her under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is comparing the tender-eyed one, and then he goes on to say, but on the other hand, the sister, oh, she was beautiful. Oh, she was, she was very, very beautiful and well-favored. That's what it says, Genesis twenty nine seventeen. So I can only deduce from that, you don't want to be tender-eyed. And, and, and I don't want to be tender-eyed either. I want to, you know, as a man, I want to be beautiful and well-favored, if, if that's a thing, right? So, so understand, listen, the Bible emphasizes that, that, that beauty, it, it makes a difference. Solomon here, he even, he even points out that the woman who is lacking discretion, that she is fair. Again, that means beautiful. So understand, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful, wanting to be beautiful, doing things to achieve beauty so long, so long as those things aren't the primary passion and pursuit of your life. If you need to put a ring of gold on your purse in order to make yourself beautiful, listen, have at it, That's fine. But make sure, make sure, make sure, number two, that you have addressed inner beauty because here's why. Inner beauty is superior. Outer beauty is fine. Nothing wrong with it. You can dress yourself up and do your hair and wear jewelry. He's not, he's not condemning those things, but he's saying make sure, make sure that you address the inner man first because if you do not address the inner man, and basically all you've done is by putting the earrings on and by dressing yourself up and doing the hair, you, 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 you basically, you've, you've not accomplished anything. Again, you and I don't have a lot of control over how beautiful we are physically. For some of us, we can't just put an earring of gold on us and automatically become beautiful. Um, I, I don't wear earrings, um, but even if I could, it, it's not gonna help. It's not, it's not gonna help me any. Solomon asks, what difference is it if one is beautiful outwardly while lacking discretion? That word discretion speaks of perception, taste, intelligence, wisdom, or class. What difference does it make if you're beautiful on the outside, but you lack inner beauty? Without discretion, listen, without discretion, we are we are basest of beings, not even worthy of adorning ourselves with items designed to enhance our appearance. So you have the choice to make, and so do I. You must choose to adorn the inner man first because that is where true, lasting beauty is found and is far more important than outer beauty. See, some of you have lived long enough to know that that the person you were in your 20s and in your 30s is no longer the person you are in your 70s and in your 80s. And that's not a problem. That's not a problem. You look in the mirror and you say, well, I'm not what I used to be. But you know what? Here's, here's the thing. The inner, the inner man can grow more and more beautiful with every day. The inner man can be renewed. It can be made younger with every passing day. And so we discover that if you're gonna make if you're gonna make a choice, choose inner beauty first. Thirdly and finally, the third choice that I see very clearly revealed in our text is this not only choose to die with hope and choose. Inner beauty first, but number three, choose generosity. Choose generosity. Look in verse 24, if you would. He said, there is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. You know, none of these, none of these choices that are, are Solomon is asking us to make come naturally. In other words, it doesn't come naturally for us to choose to die with expectation and hope. In fact, the vast majority of people are not even thinking about their death, they're not thinking about that at all. And to choose inner beauty first, that does not come naturally because we never see the inside of us. We only, we only really see the outside, and so as a result, you know, we look in the mirror, we see us physically, and we say, well, that needs to be addressed, that needs to be addressed, and because we don't really, and the only way to really see the inside is to, is to behold it through this book, that the book is the mirror, and so most people aren't reading the book, and so they don't even think about it. So, so naturally, listen, naturally, all of these choices that Solomon is urging us to make, they don't come to us in a, in a, natural, in a natural way. There's, there's no tendencies towards these things. So in other words, you have, to, you have to choose this. If you do not choose these things, you will automatically slip and go the other direction. That's why these, this is a choice that has to be made. So there's a choice to die with hope. There's a choice to, to choose inner beauty first. And then there's a choice to be generous. Within all of us is a natural tendency to hoard and save when it comes to others. While at the same time spending extravagantly and luxuriously when it comes to our own wants and our own desires. And in order, listen, in order to be truly generous, we, we have to discover and live by the following principles that are very clearly laid out in these verses. There's three principles that, that you'll discover if you're gonna be generous, if you're gonna really be generous as an individual, as a person, you're gonna to have to come to grips with these with these principles. Number one is the principle of faith. The principle of faith, and that's found very clearly in verse number 24. Where he says, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Let me ask this question Does it make sense? Does it make sense that by scattering I would experience increase? That doesn't make sense. That that by that by letting go of uh, of, of what I have that 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 somehow some way I will I will I will gather even more. Some of you you you've been to um, you've been to those birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese, right? And in Chuck E. Cheese they have this like this wind tunnel thing. You know what I'm talking about, and it blows. I think it blows money or tickets or something like that. And uh, and and, it, and it, it's 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 an incredible it's an incredible thing. And you get a kid in there, and I mean that stuff is swirling everywhere, and he's I mean he's just trying to grab everything. And by the end by the end of it, he walks out and he's got like two things. I mean there were a million things in there, and he walks out with two. And he's bummed, and he's and he's and he's, and he's ripped, and and uh, and you know it is what it is. I, I'm reminded of the story of a young man who who put his hand in the you have heard that story already. Put his hand in the in the gumdrop machine, and, uh, and and he was and he was holding he was holding on to what he had, and he couldn't get it out. He couldn't get it out. And had he and had he just had he just let go, he could have he could have slipped his hand out, and he'd have been just fine. But in many respects, that's sort of how we live life. Man, we're, 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 we're wanting to grab hold of, of everything, everything that we see, and we're so easily distracted. And yet, and yet, when, when I, uh, when I, when I think about this principle, when I scatter something, I am releasing it from my grasp, and I will likely lose it. That's the, that's the common understanding that we have. And it does not make sense to us that by withholding more than I could possibly need, that that would lead to poverty, but that's what Solomon writes here. And so you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you must come to terms with the faith element. You, you must accept this principle by faith. One of the greatest givers was George Mueller of Bristol, England. When he, when he first launched out into the orphanage work God had laid on his heart, all he had, all he had was some small change. He also had three dishes, 28 plates, three basins, one jug, four mugs, three salt shakers, one grater, four knives, and five forks. That's all he had. By the time he finished his work, some 10,000 boys and girls had been housed, had been fed, had been clothed, had been educated, and settled into gainful employment all those years ago. He had given away vast sums of money to help Sunday schools and day schools at home and abroad. He had given away nearly 2 million Bibles and New Testaments. He had circulated 3 million books and tracts. Questions asked how much money passed through his hands. Nobody knows, but God alone George Mueller died as he lived. Poor, according to the world standards. However, like Abraham, according to Genesis 25 and verse number 8, Mueller died full. He died full. Why? Because he understood the faith element. I can hold on to these 28 plates and these five forks and these three salt shakers and this small change that I have in my pocket, and I can hoard these things for myself, or, or I can put these things to use. And I can see God do a great work through my life. Here was a man, listen, here's a man that scattered his goods, and yet it led to increase. Why? Because he understood the principle of faith. Christ said, when we do things, when we're generous to the least of our brethren, he said, you have done it for me. According to Matthew 25 and verse number 40, when I give extravagantly by faith, I can expect God to increase me, but when I am stingy and I withhold more than is meat, I can expect poverty. Notice number two, there's not only the principle of faith, but there's the principle of sowing and reaping. Would you look in verse number 25? Seen very clearly, the liberal souls shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. You know, there's an undeniable Bible principle of sowing and reaping. It's not just a Bible principle, it's a basic law of science and really of of life. We see it played out in science and industry and interpersonal relationships. The list could go on and on. Here's what the farmer understands. The farmer understands that in order to reap a harvest, he must first sow the seed. If I sow seed liberally, he says, I will be made fat. If I water consistently, I will reap abundantly. This is the principle that is being very clearly laid out in our text. And so if you're going to choose to be generous, you must first of all come to terms with the principle of faith. And then secondly, the principle of sowing and reaping. And then finally, number three, there's the principle of kindness. If you look in verse 26, he that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. but Blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. You know, at the end of the day, can you not just be generous for the sake of good, old-fashioned kindness? Just a fact that you saw a need and you thought, you know, I don't particularly know that person all that well, and I'm really under no obligation. But just for the sake of kindness, I got some corn over here. Can I just, can I just give them some of the corn that I have instead of holding on to it? I, I don't know what it is that that you might have that might be a blessing to someone else or be a help to someone else, but. But can I not just give, you know, some of you, some of you, it's not, it's not giving away material possessions, but some of you, you're consistently giving away some of your skills and your gifts to other people to serve them. Maybe you know how to work on cars. Instead of charging people an arm and a leg, hey, you know what, bring your car on over and I'll, I'll change the oil for you. I'll make sure that, you know, this is taken care of or that's taken care of. Well, why are you gonna do that? Well, you know, because I have the corn. You know, I have the skill and I might as well do it. Uh, just, just for the sake of, of just being kind. Look what happens to the man who shows kindness. Oh, blessing is upon his head. But look what happens to the man who withholds the corn. And he withholds the kindness. What happens to him? The Bible says he's cursed. If you're going to be generous, you're going to choose to be generous, you're going to have to acknowledge the principle of faith. That, that, listen, I could hold on to this if I want to, but somehow, some way, I can't quite figure it out. But somehow, some way, when I let go of this and when I scatter it, God, God does something miraculous, and He allows what I have released, what I have scattered, He allows it to lead to plenty. And if I withhold it, if I hoard it, somehow, some way, it leads to poverty. I don't understand it. I can't explain it, but it's true. So there's the principle of faith, and there's the principle of sowing and reaping. You know what? If I, if I wanna, if I wanna. Be, reap a harvest, and I'm going to have to water some some things, and I'm going to have to sow some seed. And so, I'm just going to start planting generosity. I'm going to start planting generosity, and if you'll do that, I I believe you'll discover that it'll come back to you in a big time way. And then finally is the principle of kindness. Why should you be generous? Well, just be kind. Show the love of Christ. You know, to but but Jesus said, "By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another." He would say he would say in his he would say in his, his, his prayer there in the, in the upper room, he would say, listen, the world will know that I have been sent by God above. The world will re- acknowledge my deity. They will acknowledge that I'm the real deal. Why? Why? When they see your love for one another, when they see the unity that you have and the cohesion that you have. And listen, one of the ways that that's played out is in the realm of generosity. Listen, in this room are a million needs. And in this room are a million people that have the ability, if they wanted to, Have the ability to meet some of those needs. So, why don't we just choose generosity? Choose inner beauty first, and choose to die with hope.